Welcome to Trailhead. My name is Steve, and uh, I'm the lead pastor. And this morning we are in the last week of our Flourish sermon series. Some of you are like, thank God. Um, it's so much fun talking about greed. So much fun. Just get to dig in. Uh, so yeah, this sermon series has been tied in, obviously, to the launch of our capital campaign. And, uh, and so now's a great opportunity. We, we, we made this video to, uh, to help cast vision for the church, but also for our capital campaign. And, uh, and it's an awesome video, so we showed it at the beginning of the series. We're going to show it again because it's that cool. Let's go ahead and see that. From the beginning, I have dreamed of, of having something that, that feels authentic and real, where people can be themselves. This is a place where uh, I've been welcomed, a place where I've received love in the midst of difficult circumstances that I was going through. Grace is spoken here, and I felt that, that grace, that love, um, and transformed me. We want to order out our steps. We, we want to have all the plans, but we really are just traveling, right? That's where Trailhead, I think, is a powerful metaphor because he's the beginning of our story and he's the end of our story. And in the middle, we're just figuring out how to move forward in grace. We don't go to church, we are the church. The building we meet in is just a shell, it's just a place. It's the, the community of that is the true church. Trailer Church's mission is people. You know, so you should see people of all walks of life uh, in and through the church's doors. The makeup of Trailhead Church reflects the demographic of uh, our community of Edwardsville. The church has benefited greatly when she has all stages of life represented because it really is an intergenerational community that God's saving and that God's using. I mean, that is the church. Trailhead is located in downtown Edwardsville uh, and we wanted to be in the downtown area because this is where the business is, this is where the action takes place, but it's also central. We have so many neighborhoods that kind of just hub off of here. From the beginning, we've done quite a bit of work just trying to serve people. Things like Affordable Christmas, where we invite people that are in kind of the lower economic rung to take part in a affordable Christmas for their kids. Another way is that we offer discounted counseling to those that can't afford it. Around us, I would also say our kids' ministry, there's a lot of parents that come and they're like, the kids' ministry is rocking. We have just a phenomenal college ministry. I think there's a strategic benefit to reaching students when they are in college, primarily because they are thinking through, what am I doing with my life? You know, what am I going to be? What am I going to become? God's plan from the very beginning was for us to have relationship with Him. And we get to do it together. Uh, we get to invite others to join us and encourage each other along the way. And that's what Trailhead's all about. We're at a stage now, um, we're established. We have a healthy culture. We're growing. And so I think one of, the, one of the coolest things as I think about Trailhead, it's our ability to send our people out into their communities to love. I wanna see more churches planted. I want to see um, more lighthouses established. I want to see the invitation of the gospel pushed out in clarity into all the surrounding communities. 
Alton, Granite City, Highland, and then out from there. What does it look like when we plant a church for that church to plant a church and those churches to plant churches? That's a legacy that outlives us. We're all driven to experience the flourishing of life. We, we want deep and profound experiences of love. There is no deeper need of the human soul. So we've set a pretty aggressive goal for our capital campaign. We're trying to raise 1.1 million over the course of three years. We believe it's a way for us to uh, honor what God has given us. God has given us a tremendous gift in, in equipping us to get into this building. And we think um, we honor that gift by taking the initiative now to pay off that debt, equip Converge to invest in other churches and free up our future so that we can continue uh, to be responsive to opportunities as they arise. Um, additionally, it'll also give us some money to invest, continue to invest into church planting and into our church planting partnerships. Um, we owe $900,000 on our building. And the reason we're raising more than that is so that we can set aside money specifically to invest into our next daughter church, um, as well as to continue to invest in our church planting partnerships so that we can see the gospel continue to flourish, not just at Trailhead, but through the partnerships that have equipped us to flourish. So we are launching our, uh, our capital campaign. Um, obviously, we've been talking about it every week for the last five weeks. Um, but uh, I want to give you an update. We, we obviously had a leadership gift. We approached in the church or invited people to lead in the church and, and say, hey, would you like to lead by giving, right? They give and then they invite others uh, basically by, by saying, hey, follow our lead, right? We're giving in generosity. Why don't you follow our generosity? And, um, and so our leadership gifts, um, over the course of this week, we got a handful more in. And, uh, and I'm really encouraged to be able to announce, we've got 32 givers at this point that are part of that leadership gift, and uh, we just broke 500,000 this morning. And so we are half a million um, in pledges already. And um, that's, it's actually ridiculously encouraging. Uh, we have about 32, we have 32 individuals or families currently giving. Uh, our goal is to have 120, which means we're still looking for 90 more. 90, 90 more families, 90 more individuals to jump in and give. Uh, if you haven't taken a look at our capital campaign booklet, we haven't distributed it around the room but underneath the seats. So you'll be able to look in front of you and find one and grab one. It'll tell you what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we plan to get there. It has a, a giving tree that shows you how 120 people get us to 1.1 million. And um, we're asking people to pray about where they fall. Where's, where's the Spirit leading you to contribute um, on that, and, um, and then we are asking people, once they've prayed about it and, and made the commitment, to let us know, right? That's what that pledge card is on the front of the booklet. It's a little envelope that you fill out, and, um, uh, and so we're collecting those this week, and we're collecting those next week. So if you have it and you're ready to, to give it this week, you could have put it in the, in the offering. That's fine. We can get it that way. Or you can put it in one of the response boxes. We have two response boxes up front. We have one by connection point. Um, just go ahead and drop them in the response boxes. And uh, we'll be tallying those up this week and, and next week. So the capital campaign is a great opportunity for us, uh, not just to meet a pressing need, right? Um, but actually to push into one of the most persistent themes in all of Scripture, and that is that, that greed is bad. Um, 
The misuse of wealth is called out over 2,000 times in Scripture. It is a significant theme, uh, if not one of the most significant themes running through Scripture. The other is hand-in-hand with it, that, that as we as followers of Christ push into generosity, we push against greed. When we push into generosity, we are entering into genuine spiritual warfare in our hearts to grow in grace. Over the last four weeks, we've been asking a series of, of what seem like innocuous, simple questions, obvious questions, but I think they're actually provocative when you look into them, and, and they're asked in order to expose lies that ensnare us in greed and keep us from growing into the freedom of generosity. First week, we asked the question, what is wealth? Right? Everything in the world, everything in our culture tells us that wealth is money. Right? And, and all the affluence and all the comfort and all the luxury and all the influence that money gets you. Right? If you have a lot of money, you're suddenly important. Right? But we know that some of the poorest people in the world are the people who only have money. Because true wealth isn't money. True wealth is love. Right? Knowing and being known, treasuring and being treasured, sharing love and receiving love. Man, that's wealth. That's real wealth. That's what makes life vibrantly flourishing. That's what makes it worth living, right? And as a result of that, the second question was, what's genuine generosity? Because of that, genuine generosity isn't measured by the size of the gift, nor is it measured by the amount of pain that it causes us to give it, right? That could just be more of a measurement of our greed, how much it hurts, right? True generosity is measured by the amount of love that's engaged in the process, right? When love motivates us to be generous, we become cheerful givers. We become joyful givers because it is joyful to give out of love to those that we do love, right? Genuine generosity is an expression of love, which leads to the third question, am I impoverished when I give? Which, which duh, of course we are, right? If you think about the world in materialistic terms, when I give, my assets are reduced and yours are increased, right? But when you see that genuine wealth is love, I am not impoverished when I give, I am actually enriched. And we are enriched together. And last week we looked at the question, isn't what I do with my money a private affair? We are very, very private with our money as Americans, man. Don't look at my checkbook. Don't ask. Um, and, and in some cases, generosity really should be private. We talked about that. There are cases where that's true. But there are other times, since genuine generosity is an expression of love when it's personal, Sometimes letting the generosity be known is one of the most powerful things you can do because it's an expression of love that increases their experience of love, right? Sometimes public giving is absolutely appropriate because it increases the benefit of love for all that are involved. And not only that, sometimes when we give together, the harvest of joy is greater than when we give independently, right? When we come together as a community and we are generous as a community, it creates a harvest of joy for the entire community that we can't have if we're simply isolated givers. Greed is continually whispering in the back of our mind, keep what you have and get more. Keep what you have and get more. It's constantly telling you that the flourishing of life is just right over there if you just keep what you have and get more. And here's the thing, if you listen to that lie, you will grow richer in fear, Afraid of, of anyone diminishing you or, or, or putting uh, burdens on you or, or threatening what you have, right? You'll grow richer in entitlement. I have what I deserve to have and nobody else deserves to have it. You'll grow in discontentment. 
You'll grow richer in, in, in being less satisfied with what you have because you'll be continually driven to add more to it because you think somehow the flourishing of life is right over that horizon. Listen, when we give, when we move into genuine generosity, it is an act of spiritual warfare against the prison guard of greed that seeks to enslave our souls in the darkness of selfishness. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to ask one final question um, that again just seems really, really simple on its surface, but I think opens up or exposes a lie. And, and that question is, who, who benefits when I give? Who benefits when I give? And some of you are like, well, duh, Steve. The person you give to benefits when you give. And you wouldn't be wrong, right? The place where we're wrong is assuming they're the only ones that benefit. Because when we give and someone else benefits, often what the subtext is in our mind is, it's my sacrifice, your benefit. I take the hit, you get the life. I suffer. And I, I should take joy in that, right? So we, we should ourselves, right? I should take joy in that. I guilt myself. And what we don't realize is, is the reason we're trapped in that paradigm is because we're believing a lie, right? Um, I give, they get, therefore I lose. So today what I want you to see is that as we give, we all grow richer, right? That there is a benefit, an actual real benefit that we all share in. And more pointedly in this sermon, what I would like to do is, is dig in a little bit and say, why be generous now? Why with this specific opportunity? Why is it important for us to engage this capital campaign? And that's a legitimate question because this capital campaign is, is, is different than our last one, right? We're seeking to raise $1.1 million, and the lion's share of that, of that gift, the lion's share of that generosity is going to go toward paying off our debt, right? Something we know is important, theoretically, but it doesn't feel very urgent, right? People are like, what happens if we don't do it, Steve? Well, we still have debt. Does the church sink? No. Does the world come to a crashing end? Probably not, right? So we know it's theoretically important, but it doesn't feel urgent. The first time we did our capital campaign, it was called Rooted in Growing because that was our vision to become rooted in our community, to grow in ministry to our community. And, and it was all about buying a building. And we knew it was important and we knew it was urgent. Because we were in a space where, where any 30-day window, we could be kicked out of our building and become a homeless congregation. <laughs> that would have been ridiculously difficult, right? But debt reduction? How is that important enough that I should move into the discomfort of giving? So this morning, what I want to show you is that it's the same reason that the Corinthians should move into the discomfort of giving, the same reason they should be generous 2,000 years ago, because when we sow generously, there is a rich harvest of benefit from which we all grow richer. So let's walk through this text and see these, these series of assertions that Paul makes. First says, uh, Paul says that, that the obvious, right? In verse 12, he tells us that, that yes, when you give, the person you give to receives the benefit, right? Take a look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service, which is he's, this, this collection we're taking up for poor believers in Jerusalem uh, from, from you Corinthians, this, for the ministry of the service, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. When you give, you're going to meet a real need, right? They benefit. Their, their practical need will be met. They're, 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 these guys are impoverished, and, and your gift is going to impact and, and help deliver them from what I call stupid poverty, right? Not, not we all feel poor, 
but usually that's because we can't take the vacation we want or eat where we want to eat, right? I'm talking about stupid poverty, the kind of poverty where you can't have enough, you can't buy enough food to feed your children, right? You can't, you can't provide adequate health care for your family, stupid poverty, the kind that, that, that is, um, and so it makes a genuine impact, right? He's going to meet a need, right? But what's really cool here is that he says it not only meets a practical financial need, so it enriches them financially and helps them bridge a gap that they can't bridge. It enriches them spiritually because it produces within their heart a harvest of gratitude. That in other words, they're not just enriched um, with the money you give them, which is a temporal wealth that meets a temporal need. They're enriched with gratitude, which is genuine wealth. It's the kind of wealth that sets you free, the kind of wealth that gives you joy, the kind of wealth that gives you contentment even in the face of, of suffering. It's genuine wealth. So when we give, people are enriched in both ways, temporally and eternally, with temporal wealth and real wealth. So how does our campaign do this? How does our campaign do this? Legitimate question, y'all. Paul was raising money um, for people impoverished, for, for people in Jerusalem that were living in poverty, right? We know that when we give money to Honduras. It's meeting a genuine need, right? We have sponsored over, I don't even know how many kids, um, right? We're sending, I don't know, somewhere between fifty and $60,000 a year to Compassion International kids um, in Honduras, in Tegucigalpa, right? And we know that, that, I mean, it's a real need. We're coming alongside parents that, that can't provide critical needs for their children, and so we're helping them bridge that financial gap so that they can right? That's, that's huge. When we partner with WGO in Tegucigalpa and, and we help with medical mission, we are, we are providing genuine relief to physical suffering, right? When we partner with WGO kids, we know that they're actually taking street kids off the street, kids that have no future and no hope that are probably going to end up uh, exploited and dead, right? And they're actually being placed in a, in a home and being fed and educated and delivered from a life of suffering, right? Those are real impacts and they're real reasons to be generous. How in the world... Can a debt campaign be compared to that, right? We're just eliminating debt. Isn't that just like filling a hole? No, it's not. Because it's not just about eliminating debt. It's about paying forward the generosity we've received, right? When we went through our first capital campaign, it equipped us to buy this building. But there was a huge gap between owning this building and being able to use it. Um, it needed to be renovated from the roof to the basement. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Converge came alongside us at that point with radical generosity and gave us the money we needed to rehab this building so that we could actually move into it and become rooted in our community and grow in ministry in this community. Right? They gave us a, a crazy loan. And, um, and that loan was, was over a 30-year span, which commercial loans are you know, almost never 30-year loans. Those are residential. Um, but they gave us a ridiculously good rate over ridiculously good terms so that we could afford it and we can get in here and we can grow. And, and we have, right? God has blessed us in that way. It was very, very generous. And so here's the thing. When we pay back that money to converge, we're not just filling a hole. We're actually paying that money forward. It doesn't just fill a hole. It fills a need for other churches, 
for, for other organizations that are on mission with the gospel who also need investment, right? Our daughter church, Heights, down in Collinsville, is where we were six years ago. They're in their first capital campaign. They're dreaming of buying a building so that they can become rooted in Collinsville, growing in ministry, right? They're going to need financial assistance in order to do that. And Converge is their partner, right? They're going to be looking to Converge to come alongside them and help them the same way they helped us. And if it's not Converge, it could be any one of the other dozens of church plants that, I'm, that we're working with all around Converge Mid-America, right? And, and so St. Louis, Chicago, even new opportunities in Mount Vernon, right? They're, here's the thing. When we pay that money forward, it doesn't fill a hole. It fills a need. It comes alongside some other or, uh, church that, that is seeking to grow in their community. And when they receive our gift, even if they don't know it's from us, it's going to provoke within them a wealth of gratitude. It'll meet a need and it will provoke a wealth of gratitude, just like it did for us. Just like it did for us. So that's the lion's share of what we're seeking to raise. We owe just over $900,000 on this loan and it is our goal within three years to, be, uh, to have that completely paid off. We're raising more than that. We're going to not 1.1 million because we want to give 10% away. And in fact, we are going to give 10% away. 4% of it is going to go toward our next daughter church. Right, so we've been working with uh, Brian Pacheco, our worship leader, um, been mentoring him for about a decade. He has been an incredible partner in ministry, and uh, we've been praying, and, and our goal is to send him out in 2021, uh, and so we may come alongside him with those funds, uh, or it may go toward Alton. We've been working toward a church plant in Alton for years. That's been a slow burn, but I believe God is, you know, we've already got money set aside for that. But here's the thing, that money is going to come alongside um, another church planter to encourage them and strengthen them and fund them as they seek to impact their community for the glory of God and bring the message of grace into people's lives. The other 6% is going to be reinvested in Converge. Converge has been a phenomenal partner for us. They, they, have, they were my church planting coach, and they were phenomenal. They were our capital campaign coach, and they were phenomenal. They, they have given us legal advice and legal covering. They, they, they have provided us um, structures, right? They did our payroll. They, they, they come alongside us and do all the things I had no idea how to do. All I knew was that I wanted to plant a church, right? And so I just started opening up the Bible and preaching and calling people to grace, right? They came along and said, Steve, you kind of need some legal structures, right? We need to help you out here because it's not just about getting a bunch of people. You need to do it right. Converge did that. And by reinvesting in Converge, we're equipping them to continue doing that for others because those things cost money. So I want you to see that when we pay this back, we are actually paying it forward. We are not filling a hole. We are filling a, a need. And when we give, those who receive the benefit will have a need met and they will experience an overwhelming harvest of gratitude. And gratitude, man, it's the absolute best fertilizer in the world for the growth of generosity. They are going to be more generous because of our generosity. So who benefits? The people who receive the gift. Who else? Well, God. God benefits. Funny statement. Take a look at verses 12 and 13. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, in other words, when, when, when their hearts are um, the approval here, they take joy in this gift, when they have their, their hearts kind of like just humbled by this love, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So others benefit, the people that we give to, those that receive the financial benefit benefit, but, but God 
benefits because the glory of God's grace is more clearly seen and it produces a harvest of thankfulness for the glory of His grace. Now, of course, we need to be theologically correct here and accurate. Um, Can we, in fact, in any way benefit God? No. God needs nothing from us right? He, he, it's not like He created us because He was lonely and He needed some companions. Um, he created us because He is a self-contained world of goodness, right? The Trinity, one of the most beautiful things that come out of this crazy doctrine of the fact that there are three who's and one what, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all co-equally God, but one God, means that He is not just the concept of love, He is the eternal experience of love, Right? He knows what it is to know and be known, to love and be loved, to give and to receive. And, and, and it's such a beautiful experience that He decided to create us in His image so that we could live in the overflow of all of that goodness. He doesn't need anything from us, but He loves to be praised by us. He loves it when we see His grace and we don't just say intellectually, yeah, that's a good thing, but our hearts are actually undone by its power. And our pride is humbled and our shame is erased and our our boldness and faith is grown because we feel loved by this incredible God. There is a richness that God receives as we move out in generosity and awake within others' uh, gratitude toward this God of grace. The ripple effects of our generosity will provoke gratitude in their hearts and God will receive increased praise. And thirdly, we benefit. Take a look at verse 14. While they long for you and they pray for you because of this surpassing grace upon you, they long for you and they pray for you. He's talking about the the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem longing for the Corinthians, praying for the Corinthians, people they'd never met, people they did not personally know, but now felt an indebted love toward a love, a connection, a relational connection with people they've never met. We long for you. We, we pray for you. Their hearts were provoked to, to gratitude to God and to love to others. Listen, when we give, we may never meet the people who benefit from our generosity. But God knows every single one of them. And when they give thanks... God knows who they're giving thanks for. And God doesn't lose track of a single detail in His economy of love. So when they give thanks, God receives glory. And we receive benefit. Why are they giving thanks? Paul tells us at the end of the verse, it's because of the surpassing grace of God upon us. The surpassing greatness of of grace, God's grace upon us. Listen, we can't be generous without being enriched, and they can't receive our generosity without being enriched, right? This is, this is, I mean, honestly, this is the dynamic power of the three G's. And some of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? So if you have, we've preached sermons on this, the 3G model is very simply the model I've developed that helps me understand and communicate the dynamic power of grace, how we are actually changed by love, right? God meets us in the place of our greatest need with an unexpected and unearned love. That's called grace, right? He meets us in our brokenness and He brings us our healing. He he meets us in our bankruptcy and and He brings us His riches. He meets us in our sin. 
and he meets us with a savior. Somebody we didn't earn and couldn't pay and, and could never properly even give thanks to, right? But we receive. And that grace has a profound impact on us and awakens within us a deep gratitude because we are humbled by the gift. It's such a great gift. And we take joy in the giver because it's such a great love. And, and humility and joy come together and produce this transformative experience we call gratitude. It's way more than just saying thanks, right? Saying thank you to somebody can be a cheap, cheap thing, right? But true gratitude is never cheap. True gratitude is a transforming soul experience in which we are humbled by a gift. We take joy in the giver and it grips our souls and, and, and it fills us with joy and contentment and, and, and a sense of security and it moves us in love, which is why generosity always flows from gratitude. Because when we are truly grateful, because we've received such a great love, we will become free in loving. We will push out in love to meet the needs of others, right? Grace produces gratitude. Gratitude pushes us out in generosity. And here's the thing. When we push out in generosity, it's only a matter of time before our greed kicks in and says, hey, 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 you don't want to do that. That costs too much. You're not keeping what you have and you're not getting more, right? Don't, don't go there. And when greed kicks in, what do we have to do? We have to push back into grace. We have to allow the astounding love of God once again to meet us in the place of our deep need. And, and His love equips us and reorients us and once again restores us to sanity and, and diffuses the lies of the enemy. And, 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 and that reawakens within us a deep and profound experience of gratitude. And that deep experience of gratitude pushes us out in generosity, which pushes us back to grace. It is a never-ending cycle in the Christian life. Right? We don't just believe the gospel to go to heaven. We believe the gospel and we keep believing the gospel because it is the transformative power of God to set us free and to bring us into the flourishing of life. It's so incredibly cool. I mean, think about it. Yes? God gave us the unlimited riches of grace and then just said, go be generous with it. Give it away because I've got more. And the more you give, the more grace you'll get because you'll experience more love. The more generous you become, the more grace you experience. What a ridiculous economy. Isn't it beautiful? And it all begins with his, with his generosity. It's his wealth, right? Verse 15 is where Paul lands. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. As Paul has been preaching this through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he's not just laying out good principles for the Corinthians. He himself is once again being amazed by how all this works, that grace is this this treasure that sets us free and we move into the powers of grace as we move into the stretching of generosity which pushes us back into grace. And at the end of it, he's like, I'm overwhelmingly grateful. Thanks be to God, right? This isn't just the period on the end of a sentence. This isn't just his way of saying, okay, we're done with this topic. This is him responding to his own teaching. He's like, holy cow! Thanks be to God! For his inexpressible gift. I love that word, inexpressible. He's like, I don't even have words for it. I cannot use an adjective profound enough, strong enough, beautiful enough to describe this gift. The gift that God gave us in himself. When Jesus 
the very riches of God entered into our broken world to become the servant of our need, to live the life we should have lived and die the death we deserve to die, to become our substitute in judgment so that we could be covered in the resurrection glory of His victory over our sin. It's inexpressible. The Greek word is called an hapax legomenon, which is a funny way of saying, but, but what that means is this is the only place this word is used in Scripture. Like, like Paul's like, what word can I use to describe this great gift of God? How about if I use a word that I've never used before and a word that means inexpressible because I can't find a word that's good enough. That's how incredible this gift is. God started it all. He's the one that created this economy of love when he gave us this incredible gift of love. And we were, when we respond in faith, pushing in into grace, it awakens gratitude. And in our gratitude, man, we are pushed out into generosity. And that dynamic force, man, it kills our greed. It blows open the doors of the cell that entrap us in our fear, entitlement, and discontent. Grace leads to gratitude. Gratitude pushes us to generosity. Generosity pushes us back to grace, which again enriches us with even more gratitude, which pushes us back out into generosity. This is God's economy. And it only grows as we engage it. Our experience of these riches only grow as we push into the flow of love. And it keeps us growing as we keep consuming I love it. This is a whole different kind of consumerist economy. What are we consuming? We're consuming love. We're consuming grace. We're, we're, we're coming and saying, I have nothing but need. And God is saying, I have nothing but love. And as we consume that love, man, we are transformed and set free. God is generous. And because God is generous, we are generous. And then God uses our generosity to awaken generosity in others. There's a ripple effect to this thing, right? A, a bomb of love went off with the resurrection of Christ. And the ripple effects, the shock waves continue to go out. And every single person who moves in that love creates all new shock waves that continue to go out, new ripples that go out and continue to have effects. And we'll never know how far the ripples of our generosity go until we get to the kingdom. I want to share a cool story from you from my own life that illustrates um, exactly what I'm, I'm talking about here. Um, and in order to share the story, I have to show you another video. So let's go ahead and let's show the other video. Nobody's looking back at you guys, don't worry. <laughs> Make sure you show your appreciation to our tech people on your way out. You have no idea how much pressure they work under. You know how sometimes it feels like life just happens? You know, just random things seem to fill your day. Things with little or no consequence to anyone else. I mean... I know God's in control of my life, 
but I never really saw how much he was weaving my story with other people's stories and really into his story. Well, that's all changed. It was a cold day, the kind where you really don't want to have some long conversation outside with someone, especially with someone you don't really know. But that's exactly what God had in mind. Amy and I had just eaten lunch at Dublin's downtown Franklin, and we were walking to the car and we see this couple that I thought I recognized from church. It would have been awkward just to walk by them and not say anything, so we stopped and said hey and did the whole, yeah, yeah, you guys go to fellowship thing, whatever. Well, we start talking and the whole Dave Ramsey thing comes up. They asked us where we were in the process, and I told them that so far we paid off 60000 but still had $10,000 left to go. They asked us what we would do when we were debt-free, and I laughed and told them, well, I told my kids I'd buy them a trampoline, what we really wanted to adopt, and we committed to being debt-free before we did. The whole conversation only lasted about three minutes. It was like, nice to meet you. That was random. Well, the next day, that random person shows up at my office with this brand new trampoline. I couldn't believe it. It was like my kids are going to freak. I set it up that night, and my kids jumped on that thing for four hours. I mean, we didn't even know these people. They didn't have to do that. I mean, really, that's pretty generous. Well, the next day, I get an email from the same lady saying, Oh, you guys seem like a sharp couple, and we'd love to come by and talk to you about something. I emailed her back and said, That sounds like a multi-level marketing proposal. And if it was, we really weren't interested. Of course, she says it's not that sort of deal, but she was really persistent. She even called Amy. Amy had been sick, and it really wasn't a great time to have company over. Our house is a wreck, and we didn't feel like picking it up. We said everything short of, Please don't come over to my house. So they show up, and I'm like, Here we go. Let's get this over with. Don't say yes to anything. I couldn't believe they sunk their claws into us with that trampoline to get us involved in some pyramid scheme. Anyway, so we small talked for about five minutes, and then right when I thought they were about to drop the bomb, they did. But it wasn't the bomb I was expecting. So the lady says, well, we told you we'd only be a few minutes, and I really don't know how to say this, but we want to pay off your $10,000 left in debt so you guys can adopt. She pulls out her checkbook and goes, how do you spell your guys' names? What? Are you kidding me? Are you for real? I mean, who does that? Who writes somebody a check for $10,000 and gives it to people they don't even know? So they give us a check and they said, just don't act weird around us at church and just don't tell anybody it was us. And they drove off. I mean, Amy and I stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. And we cried and we screamed. And we ran all over the yard in the house. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it was beyond belief. We realized nine months later when we brought Malaya home, the check they wrote us was dated nine months prior to Malaya's due date. They gave us that money right about the time our daughter was conceived. It was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off that debt. We felt called to adopt, but we simply couldn't afford to do it on our own. We found that this random couple had already adopted four children and felt a calling to continue to serve through adoption. Rather than bringing more children into their home, they decided to help others adopt. It didn't just happen. It wasn't random at all. God knew his plan. 
He had just invited us to walk with him through this process. He was weaving our callings, our stories together for us to love and to care for each other, to make a beautiful tapestry for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. story you think about the the effects of the three g's right the 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 grace gratitude generosity something happened in in that first couple's life somewhere along the line and they grew in a generosity that led them to adopt and then as they moved into that i'm sure anybody who knows foster or adoptive care it pushes you back to grace and, and, uh, and, and they were pushed back to grace to where they did it four times. And not only that, to the point where they're like, we want to equip others to do it. And then from that place, they, they equip these guys, right? And, and, and that gift equips them to move forward in adoption. How does this impact me? So this video was played by uh, a guy named Yancey Arrington. Yancey is a, a friend of mine. He's a pastor in Texas, but he was invited to the journey uh, to preach one Sunday, and, and in uh, 2008, he gave a sermon, and he showed this video. Um, I was the family pastor at the journey at the time, and um, I had just been tapped by the elders to start going over to the Metro East, uh, our community, um, because the church plant had failed, and people needed, yeah, they wanted to see if this thing could get relaunched. Uh, that's a whole other story. I had agreed after, after God humbled me and made it very, very clear to my family and I to that this was, in fact, what God wanted us to do. And so I was um, working as the full-time family pastor at The Journey, and then I was driving every night pretty much and on weekends to the Metro East to meet with this, this core group of people that went through this church plant failure. So I was shepherding them out of their hurt. I was re-envisioning them to the idea of launching a new church. It was a 45-minute drive from our home in South County. And, uh, and I was driving an old Ford Ranger that I had already swapped the engine in. It had a junkyard engine in it. Um, and, and I was lucky to get 18 miles to the gallon, and honestly, I was lucky to get anywhere in that thing. Um, and so I knew I needed a different car, and so just started praying. I'm like, Lord, all, I, we looked, and we scrambled, and we're like, I think the best we can scrape together for a car is $3,000. So I started doing research, and, and I just kind of landed on, on Hondas. Um, I just kept coming back to reliability, and you can get a super high-mileage Honda that can still last a long time. They're just reliable. They're inexpensive. They get great gas mileage. And, and so as I was searching, I just kind of landed on an Accord. Um, because an Accord had four doors, and, and, you know, even though we had five people in our family, we could fit five people in that car. And, uh, and, and so I started praying that the Lord give me a, an Accord. And, and specifically, I'm like, all right, if I'm going to be specific, Lord, I want a four-cylinder. Four, um, I know it'll be a little bit more gutless, but it gets better gas mileage, which will help us save money. And so, and so I started looking for these, and I thought it'd be easier to find because they're a little bit less attractive than the, than the six cylinders. Those are the more popular version. And so I started looking, and, and, and you know how it is when you're Craigslisting stuff. You know, you get a listing, and, and it's like this brand new immaculate, blah, blah, blah. And you get there, and it's a, you know, a 1968 Chevelle um, without wheels. And you're like, that's not a Honda Accord. No, but it looks a lot like it. Um, or you find a really great deal, and by the time you call them, they're like, oh, yeah, you're like the 20th caller. It just popped up, right? And so I'm like getting stressed. This was an incredibly stressful season for our family. There's a lot going on personally. There's a tremendous amount of spiritual warfare going on. And, and there were multiple things happening during this season 
Uh, and I'm exhausted. I'm working two jobs. I'm the full-time family pastor for the journey, and I'm coming nights and weekends, and I'm being a full-time parent and all these things. And, and I remember exactly where I was when I got the phone call. I was, I was in my bedroom, and I get a phone call, and um, by the grace of God, I answered it because I don't always answer phone calls, just being honest. Um, usually let it go to voicemail and call you back. Um, but I answered, and it was... Um, it was Eric Bronner. Eric Bronner was a very, very friendly guy that I had met at the Journey. He and his family served and journeyed kids faithfully. He was a sweet guy. Um, and we were friendly, I'll say that, you know. And, and clearly on the way to being friends, like we could be friends, but at that point we were friendly. Um, and a guy that I, I liked. And he's like, hey, Steve, you got a minute? And I'm like, yeah, what's up, man? Um, he's like, I got a weird question for you. Do you want a car? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, 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 you know, actually I'm looking, uh, why? He says, because we have a car. And I don't remember if it was because they bought a new car. I think it might've been that their parents had bought a new car and given them their, their old car. And now they had three and, um, and he's like, man, we saw, we were just at church and we saw that video and it just got us thinking, man, why don't, we don't need it, this car, why don't we give it away? So they prayed about it. We just really feel like God's telling us that we're supposed to give it to you. And I'm like, great yeah um what kind is it well it's a honda what kind it's a honda accord he goes now now the paint's not real good it's got some scratches you know it's it's like you know but it's pretty low mile it's only 120,000 miles or something like what and he goes he goes yeah it even has leather and you know has a sunroof it, it's i'm like he's like it's mechanically sound we've taken good care of it he goes but but it only has four cylinders. Is that okay? I mean, literally, I'm not exaggerating. I'm like, yeah, I think that's okay. Um, <laughs> so I hung up and, and I melted. I mean, I literally melted in tears on the floor. I mean, it was, there was so much stress. There was so much going on. And you know what I felt in that moment? Gratitude. Overwhelming gratitude. And it filled my heart because it was God saying, I'm here. I see you and I'm caring for you and, and you cannot step outside of my love. And as you step into this craziness and, and all of this chaos, I will meet you in it and I will be with you in it. They received, so they gave and I had my need met, my need for a car. And, and I experienced as a result an outpouring of thanksgiving from my heart. And I know they could have done a lot with that money. They could have taken a really nice family vacation with that money. They, they could have bought something really nice for their home with that money. They could have socked that money away and saved it and, and, and felt a little bit more secure. But what did they do? They gave it. And that car... Uh, it took me back and forth to Edwardsville. And every time I drove it, in my leather seats, with my sunroof open, it reminded me of God's love. It reminded me that God was with me. It, re it renewed my experience of gratitude. It was God's way of saying, man, go boldly, because you're not crazy. I'm with you. What's funny is when we got to our first capital campaign 
in 2013, Lauren and I were really struggling with how we were going to contribute to the campaign. And I, we wanted to be generous, but we just didn't have, we had already, I mean, we already simplified everything. We haven't had cable in I don't know how long. We, we shop at secondhand stores. We, you know, those are all, we've already made all those shifts long ago. And we're like, how in the world do we, do we find room? And we're like, you know what? We had, at this point, a Honda Fit um, that we bought new, thanks Obama. Uh, the Cash for Clunkers program, you guys remember that? That's where the Ranger went, that piece of junk. Um, so I got $3,000 for that thing. It allowed us to buy this Honda Fit. And, uh, and it was just ready to get paid off. And we're like, let's pay off the Honda Fit and we'll take all the money that we've been putting toward our car and we'll put that toward the capital campaign and we'll commit ourselves for three years to going with one car. And so we did. And about a year and a half, two years in, man, it hurt. I'm just telling you, man, that life was complicated. The car is tiny. Um, and, and, and we have multiple complex schedules that we're trying to coordinate. And so, um, it, you know, it was like, Lord, we really need a second car, but we've committed and we don't have the finances. And, and our daughter had uh, purchased the Honda Accord from us. That was her first car. So she was driving it. Well, she was driving and she got rear-ended. Praise God. Um, now, she was perfectly fine didn't hurt her at all. She got insurance money that equipped her to buy another car, and that car was now mine again, and it had a back bumper that was like falling off, but it was perfectly fine. And so I'm like, sweet, I'm driving this car again, right? And, and so I drove it, and it, it helped us finish the capital campaign um, because it gave me the second car, and yeah, it was a sight to see. I mean, it was, I mean, this, by this time, three kids trained to drive in it, a bumper falling off. Um, it was it was ready to die, and, and praise God, it, it lived just long enough. Um, huh. What do, what do I want you to see from this? Um, that car. That car was a huge blessing to us, which equipped us to be a blessing to others. R ripple effects, right? What, because we were able to move out in generosity, other people's lives were impacted, right? We were able to do that because the Brawners moved out in love toward us. And the Brawners were provoked to do that because Yancey was, was generous enough to come preach at the journey and, 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 and show that video. And, 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 and he was prompted to share that video because, because this couple in, in Franklin, Tennessee had, had their, or new, new, I don't know where, Franklin, and, and they had their life impacted by the generosity of this other unnamed couple. And, and they had their life impacted by somebody else. And it all eventually goes back to Jesus. Because he died and rose again, because he unleashed the power of love, which frees us into generosity, it created this ripple effect. We have been enriched by the generosity of those who have gone before us. And we are called to be agents of generosity in the lives of others. That is the incredible power of the economy of love. And we're all enriched as we all invest. Eric Bronner has no idea that I'm telling you this story this morning. He knows that I tell it sometimes. The couple in the video have no idea I'm telling this story. They don't even know who I am. And yet we are still feeling the effects of the ripples of those generosity, those acts of generosity today. And what does it do? It meets a need and it awakens within us a gratitude toward God. And God receives an increased wealth of praise for His glorious grace. And we are freed into the flow of generosity to continue building the economy of love. 
Listen, and, and this, is, this is our last Sunday on this thing. I want you to know, man, I'm not after your money. I'm after your heart. You want in on this. You, you want this. I'm telling you, just like Paul said to the Corinthians, when Paul is like, look, this is my judgment. This is to your benefit. I don't know how to say it any more clearly. This is to our benefit. We grow rich as we grow generous. It transforms our culture, and we're enriched as we grow in love. So we are at another unique time in the history of our church. We are launching a capital campaign. We have 32 individuals and families giving, and our, our goal, the pathway that we've laid out in the capital campaign booklets, uh, we, we need about 120. So we need 80 more families or individuals to give, to be part of this effort. And so we're asking you to pray about whether God's calling you to be one of those 80. And, and at what level he is calling you to be generous in this. And as we do, man, this is an investment in the flourishing of our community in grace. It meets a practical need. It, it does a practical thing, but it increases the ripple effect of the effects of grace. Because true wealth is love and true generosity is sharing love and we are enriched as we give and we are even more enriched when we give together. So I know for some of you this is going to require sacrifice. Love always does. In order to find room in our budgets, in order to give, it means we're going to have to find things that we can eliminate, things we can reduce, things we can postpone over the course of three years. And, and you know, obviously we need people to keep giving to our, we don't want you to transfer your giving to the church to the capital campaign, so we got to keep funding our normal budget, right? This is above and beyond, I get it. It's sacrificial. It's above and beyond. And we've heard incredible stories already from people digging into the joy of giving and and. And making just moving in love, right? Postponing significant purchases, postponing retirement, reducing vacation, eliminating eating out. But every temporal thing we give up is an investment. Not only into an eternal reward, but our shared experience, a reward of our benefit together. Those that we give to benefit. God benefits. We benefit. I want an incredible thing that we can give up something that 20 years from now we're not even going to remember giving up to create a ripple effect of grace that won't stop. I mean, for all eternity, it won't stop. What an incredible opportunity. So today, I am calling us as a body to be faithful with the opportunity that God's put in front of us, to be faithful with the generosity that's already been entrusted to us, that we can pay forward that generosity so that it can continue moving out and being a blessing. And so, um, 
we are looking for you to, this week and next week, submit the capital campaign pledge cards. Uh, like I said, they are distributed around the room if you don't have one. Just put them in the box and, and um, on here on the way out or put it in the offering next week or put it in the box next week. And we'll announce the week after that uh, where we're at. And we can celebrate the grace of God among us. Um, but man, pray about it. And be excited about what God's doing. Because he's doing something unique, not just through us in us and yeah God can do it without you but do you want him to don't you want to get in on the blessing so let's do it together I'm going to close this in a word of prayer and um, we're going to uh, take a time for reflection we'll share communion in a moment in which of course we get to celebrate and just give thanks to God for his incredible grace. But let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that, that um, Lord, you, you challenge us to awaken us. You confront the lies that enslave us so that we can see them and be set free into the abundant riches that you have, have let loose through the death and resurrection of Christ that we can be truly rich, truly content, truly secure. We can find true rest as we are just set free into the flow of love. Awaken us, Lord. Give us vision. Give us clarity. Bless us, Lord, as we seek to be a blessing and equip us that we might achieve this worthy goal that we have in front of us. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.